Welcome to the Continuing Education Podcast for CASA Volunteers, connecting you with experts who can advance your advocacy for children and families. I'm your host, Maggie Halpin, and this is CASA on the Go. Welcome back to all of our listeners. I am thrilled today to have my brilliant and beloved colleague, Maria McCord, with us, um, sharing some wisdom from her own experiences growing up within the foster care system here in Texas. Um, and Maria, I'd love to start our conversation off by just having you introduce yourself and share a little bit about the transformative work you do in the child welfare system in Texas today. Yes, thank you for having me, Maggie. Uh, well, I'm so proud to say that I'm in my fifth year with Texas CASA. And prior to this, I worked for Child Protection Services, currently known as Child Protection Investigations, as a master investigator. And I did that for almost 10 years. Um, I'm born and raised in El Paso. And I'm proud to say that I'm both bilingual and bicultural. Um, I currently hold an MBA and I'm working on my MSW, which hopefully will be done sometime this year. And, um, and I've been involved in social services for almost 20 years now. And I found, I've, I have found this work to be both difficult and very rewarding. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, as y'all just heard, uh, Maria brings such a depth of expertise to this work, um, not only as a skilled social worker, a facilitator, trainer, a passionate advocate for families um, with decades of experience in this work, and as a mother herself, but also as a survivor of abuse and neglect growing up, and as someone who experienced our foster care system firsthand. Um, and I've learned and continue to learn so much from you, Maria, and I'm just thrilled to have this opportunity for other CASA advocates to hear just a little of your story and benefit from just a little of your deep wisdom. So you went from literally dodging bullets and enduring domestic violence in your home as a child to surviving severe loneliness and anguish in foster care. Uh, so severe that at one point your life was at risk. And then just as you were about to age out of foster care, things began to gradually change for the better. So you're one of nine siblings, and yet when you were 13, you were the only child to be removed from your parents' home and placed in foster care. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to happen? Yes, sure. So as you mentioned, I, I do have nine siblings. I actually have 10 siblings um, when I was 13. Uh, by the time I was 13, one of my siblings had already passed. Um, but I am the second to the youngest. So most of my siblings are older and we're not living in, in the home at that time. So um, but yes, having lived through so many difficult situations with my siblings at, and parents at 13, it became really clear to me that I needed to do something. I needed to do something to change my circumstance and my younger sister's circumstances. So at that time, I just um, I spoke out and I happened uh, to speak to an adult that I trusted and not having any idea what CPS was at the time or what could happen. Um, they basically made the appropriate phone calls and called the authorities. And what seemed like forever uh, from the time that I made the outcry to the time to actually being pulled into the CPS office, um, my parents and my sister and I were all asked to report. We showed up to the office. And at that time I was 
just taken into foster care. Um, I was not allowed any time to say goodbye to my sister, who was my my person and continues to be my person. But, you know, at 13, she was my person and she was young and scared herself and she had no idea what was happening. Um, and unfortunately, after a couple of years, my sister uh, did end up coming into care. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I feel the same way about my little sister. So just hearing that, it just like absolutely pulls on my heart to imagine what that must have been like. Um, so at this time, you're 13. Not only were you dealing with the trauma that you'd experienced at home and now the trauma of being removed from your family, separated from your sibling, having your whole life completely upended, you're moved to a new school and you were placed in a foster home only to endure emotional abuse from a caregiver who refused to even call you by your given name. Right. And who said she started fostering in order to get some extra help around the house. And this was the beginning of being bounced from one placement to another. So how did you come to leave this first unsafe placement? So uh, being new to the system and, of course, my age, it made it really difficult for me to understand the impact of what that foster parent was saying to me. So initially, I thought that's just the way it's supposed to happen. You walk into this home and you're just given a new name. And of course, that that was very strange for me. But again, I had no idea what was happening and nobody to explain what was happening to me. I hadn't met um, a caseworker who was going to be my assigned caseworker. I hadn't I had not met my ad litem, so I had no clue I had an attorney. Um, but I was visited at some point by a young woman who showed up one day and said she was my my CASA advocate and her name was Rebecca. Um, I had no clue what CASA was. So she sat with me and just explained her role and she talked to me and just asked what was happening in the home. Um, and I think the most impactful thing that she said and did for me that day was she read me my rights and she gave me a copy of those rights and uh, she taught me and told me that I could advocate for myself. And I knew then that I that I should tell her what was ex what I was experiencing in that placement. Um, and she just empowered me to talk about it, to tell somebody, to talk to my caseworker when they when that person um, came to visit me. Uh, but she she while I was advocating for myself, she was working in the background to have me moved and to help you know, have things be better for me. Um, and it was the most in control I felt in my entire life when Rebecca wow. sat there and, and told me, these are your rights and this is what you can expect. Um, and that's the legacy that Rebecca left for me. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away shortly after that. And, and I just, I was immediately bonded to her and I refused another advocate. But the lessons that she taught me helped me advocate for myself for the remainder of my time in foster care. And, and, uh, and yeah, she, she just, she was just, she was just wonderful. Wow. Wow. To hear that she passed away so shortly after making that connection with you and just, um, yet another thing for your like 13 year old self to be carrying. Um, that's a lot. Um, yeah, she, it was a lot because she appeared and then disappeared. And um, but nevertheless, she she left something 
and she left, she made an impact. And, and that really, that was just something that just carried me through. And and there was something she said to me uh, that I remember sitting, sitting in that living room. And she said to me, this is temporary. One day you're going to be a grown up and you're going to have control. And that is something that I would talk to myself and say to myself when I felt so out of control. Um, and that just, I, I mean, I remember her fondly. She was wonderful. And, and, and I hope that that's what, you know, all the kids in foster care have, you know, the, uh, Rebecca in their lives to just make that impact for them. Wow. Well, as someone, Maria, who experienced many disrupted placements, you know, after this first one um, and encountered very real concerns for your safety and well-being as you moved through the foster care system, including inappropriate behavior from foster caregivers, being treated differently than bio children in the home in harmful ways, and just the culture shock of suddenly having to adapt to life in a completely new environment, completely new social context. What do you think is important for advocates and professionals to keep in mind when working with youth experiencing placement disruptions? That's such a great question. And um, I think there's so many things happening for youth who have or are experiencing placement disruptions because the first disruption happens when they're placed out of their family home. And that really just takes a lifetime to overcome. And the disruptions that happen afterwards, whether that child has chosen to leave placement or the caregiver has chosen to give notice are just as painful and impactful and difficult for that child and youth. Um, And what comes to mind for me is empathy, just having empathy for that child and what they're going through. Um, And it's important for advocates and professionals to understand when working with these youth that that's what they need. They need empathy and they need someone to act for them. And there was something that I heard from one of my colleagues, excuse me, one of my colleagues, she said, effective empathy plus actions equals compassion. And children and youth who are experiencing placement disruptions need compassion from from adults working and walking alongside them. They need someone who can love them and support them through those difficult times. And they need appropriate actions that follow that. So some actionable items um, like Rebecca, she read me my rights. You know, there's some things that are just so simple, but that can have such a meaningful impact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The transformative power of compassion. Um, that's put so beautifully. So you finally were able to experience some stability at a long-term residential placement where you lived for several years until you were getting ready to age out of care and basically be completely on your own. Um, But even at that placement where you lived for several years, you experienced a lot of isolation, um, right? Including being separated from and denied contact with your younger sister, um, who you were so close to and are so close to after she came into care and was placed there. And despite asking your caseworker again and again to locate your older siblings um, who were in the military at that point, no one took any action to reach out to members of your family. So during that time, what helped you cope and continue to advocate for yourself and for your future? 
Well, I think first and foremost, it was <clears throat> it was the relationship I had and have with my younger sister that helped me cope. Just mm-hmm. having her and having that connection and knowing that I was not alone in the world really made it, um, gave me that hope that I needed to cope and get through. Um, and as difficult as it was to know that she was also in care, just being able to look at her across the playground was enough for me to get through those hard times. Um, and just the obligation that I felt for her well-being that gave me the drive to move forward and to try to figure out how can we get out of this situation. Um, and I knew that I had to advocate for both her and I. Um, and alongside that, I also had formed some strong relationships with adults in, in past placements and they kept in contact with me. Um, those relationships really gave me hope uh, that I was not alone. It gave me some someone to talk to who was older, who could provide some insight. Um, and at one point I befriended an adult who then started tutoring the girls. I was in a group home um, and she would come over and she would tutor them. And then I just, we formed a strong bond. Um, and right as I was about to be emancipated, uh, I was able to leave foster care and move in with her. And she's been my mom ever since. Wow. And she also provided such a safe space for my younger sister to come and visit on weekends Mm -hmm. and just provided a place for me to see my sister, um, to have some normalcy, to have, you know, to go shopping and to do just the things that that young girls like to do. Um, And she just provided that for us. So, yeah. And looking back, you know, at everything that you were navigating everything that you survived kind of leading up to meeting your mom and establishing that relationship. I guess I'm curious, like if you had had an an effective CASA advocate by your side throughout that time, what could they have done for you at that period? I know that's a huge question, but, but maybe if there's anything, you know, that comes to mind um, or how maybe how the caseworker or other professionals could have showed up differently to ensure that you and your family were supported at this time in your life? I think it's, if I had, I mean, I initially had a great advocate. If I had requested another one, I think it would have, it would have been um, the way for them to show up in my, in my, in my life and to be effective would be just to talk to me, just to ask me who's missing for, in my life. I have, I had six adult siblings at the time who could have come and helped the situation, who could have been connected to my younger sister and I. And because those relationships were not supported and were not encouraged, they were basically severed. And now as an adult, um, and my younger sister were all adults, it's difficult to navigate those adult relationships now with older siblings who may not um, understand what that was like, you know, to feel alone in the world and to just have each other. So I think for the advocates and the professionals who are working with youth, who are uh, walking alongside them, who are trying to help them navigate this difficult situation, it really is about listening and and not answering those questions for the child. 
you know, ask the question, who is important for you in your life? Who is missing in your life? And just listening to let, letting that child answer that question, where many times professionals tend to jump in and say, this child wants their mom. This child needs this person in their life. And it could be a completely different person that this child is yearning and, and wanting. Um, so I think that's the best that's the best thing that I think a CASA ad advocate or a professional could do is just really ask the question, pause and listen, mm. and then follow up with some actions. Look for those people, get those relationships, try that, establish those relationships and get that child connected to the people that they love and want in their life. Yeah. Wow. I just want to say, like, thank you for that message. And I wish that I could have heard that when I was first getting started with, you know, working cases when I was as a CASA supervisor, because I think, you know, no matter if we have just the absolute best intention, sometimes we don't know what questions to be asking the youth that we're working with, or we might feel intimidated about like, well, if I ask them who's important to them, what if, you know, there's some reason we can't um you know can can connect them to those people um or it's intimidating to then call up those people you know out of the blue of what will i say to them and so just acknowledging that um it can feel i don't know like complicated but it is so important that we are asking those questions that we are listening and that we are following through um, and I just really appreciate you pointing us in that direction, Maria. And you're right, Maggie, relationships are difficult. You know, they're, they're so complex and there's not one right answer for any situation. There's many answers and many different situations or solutions that can be had. The, the, what, I want, what I want advocates to take away from this is that the work is hard. And it's difficult and it's emotional. And sometimes it, it can feel very lonely. Um, but it's important for us to stop and think about on the flip side, what is that child experiencing and what can happen for that child? And while maybe we cannot connect them to every person that that child wants to be with because of um, whatever circumstances are happening for that adult, there's other ways for us to help that child grieve that relationship or process that relationship mm -hmm. and or acknowledge the importance of that relationship. Um, and there's and it's that's all I'm asking for, you know, for us to to acknowledge that for the child and to um, and to just give just give that process a chance, you know, to allow that child to connect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I also found for myself that a lot of times, even though it was intimidating to think about opening up the conversation with the children or reaching out to that relative, usually it ended up being just such a better and easier, more natural human conversation than I, you know, imagined. And so just wanting to Although it, it can be hard, it also can sometimes be a lot easier than we're like imagining that it's going to be too. And so, right. Yeah. So something that we have been talking about a lot at Texas Casa is just the life-giving importance of hope 
in our lives and in our work and the work that you do and the work of the many, many hands across the state who are trying to bend the arc of the child welfare system in Texas to to really be more authentically family centered. That is what gives me hope and keeps me hopeful. Um, what what would you say gives you hope and keeps you going in this work? What gives me hope and keeps me wanting to stay in this profession is watching the growth of social services and watching and working with colleagues who are willing to do the hard work. Um, with Texas Casa, I'm a collaborative family engagement coach, and so I work with many families and and different stakeholders who um, who are working with families where it can be very difficult to be authentically family-centered and to bring the family in. Um, but my colleagues and my, my counterparts are so brave and willing and wanting to be more family-centered. And that growth for me is so hopeful. Yeah. Well, I just want to say... You know, I feel so deeply fortunate and I feel that our CASA community is so deeply fortunate to have your courageous spirit working to make things better for others than they were um, for you when you were um, in foster care. So thank you so much, Maria, for um, sharing your time and expertise with us. Is there any any last thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? Yes. Thank you, Maggie. It's important to remember that while my experience and version of foster care was difficult, there were some things that went right and people who showed up for me so that I could overcome the hardships of being separated from my family. So I'm just thankful to everyone who has left a footprint in my life, the lessons that I've learned and the connections that I've made. And I encourage everyone who is working with a child or youth who come from hard places to stay the course, stay hopeful, stay curious, and just ask different questions. And again, Maggie, thank you so much for having me on and for um, letting me have this experience. And I'm grateful to, to be in this work by your side. So thank you so much, Maria. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to Casa on the Go. Join us next time for more dynamic continuing education brought to you by Texas Casa.